As I mentioned to you at the start of service, the time of my sabbatical gave me the opportunity to learn all kinds of things. For one thing, I discovered that I am a person who brushes her teeth in the morning right before she leaves the house. Never occurred to me that I have this practice. But the thing is, what if you don't leave the house? I figure there are probably 30 days a year I only brush my teeth once a day. Don't tell my dentist. I also learned about prayer. It's not that prayer is a foreign thing to me. You might have guessed that I've been doing it for a while, but the goodness of God brings us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into relationship with the living God known to us in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so there was more yet to discover, and I felt overwhelmed by the desire to share all of this with you, but knowing that we have four baptisms, and knowing that my inclination is to preach long when I've been gone for a while anyway, I've decided to talk about prayer in the weeks to come. But I'll give you a little hint as to what some of the themes will be. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is natural. Prayer produces sensitivity. Prayer is unifying. And prayer is a present future act. I'll be working with one of these themes in the weeks to come, going deeper into what prayer is and how we are invited to become people of prayer as citizens of the kingdom of God. But today I want to draw you to John 11. That's part, we read part of that gospel, part of that chapter in our gospel reading just a few moments ago. And these readings that we had today are from All Saints Sunday. All Saints is on, or All Saints Day. All Saints Day is November 1st, and we always observe it on the Sunday following, um, nearest to November 1st. And so we moved the readings to be the readings we have for today. And as you see in John 11, we have the story of the raising of Lazarus. Now, this might be familiar to you because, one, it is a very powerful and memorable story. Also, it is one of the one readings suggested for funerals, so perhaps you've been to a funeral where this reading has been read. It reminds us of the kingdom of God, and that's what All Saints focuses on, is what does it mean to be a kingdom of, the God, of God? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that doesn't um, isn't bound by time and space like every other kingdom we know. A kingdom that is boundless and traverses time and space, uniting us all as God's children, whether we're here on this earth or no longer here on this earth. So John 11 is giving us an indication of what the kingdom of God is like. And I'm going to go a little earlier in our reading today because um, the reading that we had today in the gospel is really in the middle of the story. If you would like to look at this in, in front of you, you can take your pew Bible. That's, there's, one pew, there's one Bible in every pew. And you can look up John chapter 11. I want to remind you of the start of the story because what we read this morning alludes to part of the earlier story. We're going to look at John chapter 11, verse 19. Some Bibles have little headers. Mine has a little one that says, Jesus with Martha and Mary. So maybe it's easier to find in, your, in the Bible that you have in front of you. And I admit that these are different translations, but sometimes it's nice to see the words that are in front. So John chapter 11, verse 17. 
When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then continues the reading as we heard it just a moment ago. Now, if you remember right before this, Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was near the end. They asked him to come. They were very aware of his ability to heal. They had witnessed it and heard about it. And we hear it alluded a little later in the gospel, right? When you heard me read it from the aisle. This man, he could make blind people see. So it wasn't unfamiliar what Jesus could do and the power he had to transform the situation at hand into one that was life-giving, liberating, loving. That's why they sent word to Jesus, but Jesus didn't go. He stayed with his disciples some distance away. So when he approaches and Martha comes running out to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, I imagine that she is both frustrated and hopeful, both things. She sent word for him. He didn't come. And she knows that if he had come, her brother would still be alive. Frustration and hope, they can both reside within us. Jesus is telling her, I am creating a new kingdom. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. But you hear in her answer that she still hasn't fully understood the kingdom that Jesus is initiated in. Because she says, I know my brother will be risen again. He'll rise again on the last day. Because you see, resurrection is a Jewish belief. At the last day, all of the faithful will be raised to new life with God. If you go to Jerusalem, the Holy Land, right outside of the city walls, to the Jewish cemetery, they're lined up, they're buried in the ground so that they face Jerusalem. Because that is where the Messiah will come in the last days, and they want to be raised into new life. So resurrection is a Jewish belief. 
It's why it's so important to bury the body in its entirety. Because of resurrection. And so Martha is saying, yes, right, I know. I know that my brother will be raised to new life in the last day. And Jesus lovingly is bringing her into a deeper awareness of what the kingdom of God is about. And he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The kingdom that I am establishing is not about the last day, it's about the here and now. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. We, like Martha and Mary, do say yes, and yet we're not fully aware of what it is Jesus is doing. Or maybe why it is that Jesus asks again, if you believe it. Because we say, I thought I answered that question. And the answer was yes. Well, why are you still asking me? There's something deeper that Jesus is bringing her into. A deeper awareness of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing about. And you see, when we use these words, kingdom of God, it's very hard for us to imagine something different than what we're familiar with. We see this also in Peter when he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. Because you know, Jesus never tells anyone who he is. I don't know if you're aware of that. Never anywhere in scriptures does he ever claim to be the Messiah. He waits for it to be revealed. And when Peter realizes it, Jesus says, you are right. And on this rock, the church will be built. And then Jesus tells them what it means to be a part of his kingdom and that he will suffer and die and on the third day be raised again. And what does Peter say? No, no, that won't happen to you. You see, Peter has an idea of what the kingdom of God is like. There's a ruler and then there are the people and the people who believe in the ruler fight on behalf of the ruler. And so Peter's saying, I'm on your team, Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen to you. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. Those are some pretty strong words. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus is saying to Peter, no, 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 no. The kingdom that I am bringing about does not look like the kingdoms on earth. And it is not bound by the same parameters and limits and rules as the kingdoms on earth. We don't operate in the same way in my kingdom as the kingdoms on earth. And so he won't have it. Peter, of course, is a little dumbstruck by uh, Jesus' response because he thought it was the right answer. And it takes him on and on through his life to get the hang of it. If you remember at the washing of the feet, Jesus comes to wash the feet and Peter says, no, no, don't wash my feet. Because he's saying, Jesus, you're the leader of all of this. We wash your feet. And Jesus looks on him, and they've been together for three years. Jesus looks on him and says, no, no, Peter, remember, the kingdom that I bring about is one of service, is one of love. Follow me. And Peter said, oh, right, right, I was just getting the hang of that. That was going to be my other answer. And he allows Jesus to wash his feet. But Peter still takes a while to get it. If you read in the book of Acts, which is the story of what happened to the faithful followers after Jesus' resurrection, Peter finally gets the abundance and the, the boundlessness of God's mercy in the kingdom that he's establishing in and through Jesus, and that even Gentiles are allowed in. So you see, it takes us a while to understand the boundlessness in the kingdom that Jesus is establishing 
and the parameters and what it means to be a part of that kingdom. And Mary and Martha are having trouble with it too. And so Jesus, when he comes to the tomb, he says to them, do you believe? And Martha says, yes. And she fills in the blank right, correctly. She says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one who has come into the world, which is the correct answer. But then when they get to the tomb, Jesus says, okay, roll the stone away. This is a stone that weighs hundreds of pounds. You actually have to have a strap and a pulley and people. And Martha says, Lord, it's been four days. He's going to smell. And Jesus says, and this is why I wanted to go backwards before going forwards. Jesus says, did I not tell you if you believe? Now, so often we think of belief as a mental activity. Do we believe it? It's something we think of happening in our head. But belief is, in the scriptures is a heart thing. And it's born in action. Belief is not a mental ascent. It's, it's a demonstration. Belief. And so Jesus, in his question to Martha, is saying, do you believe this? Believing is then an action. Roll the stone away. Believing is an action. Do what I ask you to do, even though you might not understand it. Because I am establishing a new kingdom, a new way. And in my kingdom, people are raised to new life here and now. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? It's a difficult thing for us to conceive of. And I hope in my, you know, reminding you of Martha and Peter... You might hear God's compassion for the slowness of the disciples, which, my friends, we are a part of. We get it for a while, and then we go away and forget, and then we have to be reminded, and oh, right, 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 right. Paul talks about this. He says, I look in a mirror, and then I walk away, and I forget what I just saw. Jesus, in his loving compassion for us, made known to us in the Holy Spirit in this day and age, says, come again, try again. And in a moment, we're going to remember what belief looks like. We're going to invite four people into the kingdom of God. And we're going to do that with our baptismal covenant, which gives us some language to talk about our belief, our action. We'll say together the creed, but then we'll go into five promises that we feel like help us live what we set our heart upon. They show who our Lord is. They give us a chance to reflect our lordship, the kingship of Jesus in our lives. And in saying them, we claim them, but we are also made guilty by them. If you remember the baptismal covenant, it's pretty expansive. And our answer is always the same, I will with God's help. And as we say the words, we can probably remember the times we didn't. And so it can be hard to say, well, maybe I don't want to say it because I mess up already. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not looking for righteous indifference here. (laughs) I don't want you to recognize your fallibility and thus just give up. I'm trying to say, please come with my help. Believe so that I can do my work in the world and bring about this new kingdom. Indeed, we are in the kingdom of the USA. We're not in God's kingdom. Not in the daily life that we do. It's impossible to not be in the kingdom of USA. 
In the kingdom of USA, we have a free market economy which is entrusted with moral decisions. We say, let the market give merit. Let it reward and punish. That's how this kingdom of USA works. In God's kingdom, moral decisions are made with priority of our Lord, and all resources are allocated according to God's priorities. In the kingdom of the USA, we have a war economy. We unify against them. We understand our strength and security according to our ability to thwart any threat with physical force. That's the kingdom of the USA. In God's kingdom, there is no us and them. As the 17th century French bishop Francois Fenelon said, all wars are civil wars because all men are brothers. Each one owes infinitely more to the human race than to the particular country in which he was born. In God's kingdom, we can't resign ourselves to the designation of the haves and the have-nots because each of us has been given status in the kingdom as God's children. In God's kingdom, we're all the haves. We owe more to our common humanity in God's kingdom than to the agendas that have given us our status within our society. It is difficult to remember this, to live like this. We're damned almost the minute we start. In our best efforts, there are wrongs. In our loftiest goals, there are shortcomings. In our desire to help, there are still people that get hurt. And so our prayer becomes, Lord, have mercy. Help us to live into your kingdom. We don't claim to have achieved it, but we do want to get better at remembering your lordship. We want to remember that you're Lord of my life, and that in my making you Lord of my life, your kingdom can be created in ways I can't even imagine. The dead can be raised to new life, and that's beyond my comprehension. I want to conclude this sermon with a prayer because the invitation to live as God's children in this world is a blessed one. So let's pray. O loving and gracious God, it is through your love and grace that you have made us citizens of your kingdom. We are not worthy, and we've never been worthy. But your grace abounds, drawing us into fellowship with you, because your love for us is faithful. We confess that even in our best efforts, there are wrongdoings. And even in our great strides for goodness, there are errors. Lord, empower and console us to keep our faith in you.
Give us the strength to persevere in submitting ourselves to your lordship. Let us remember that you will always bring about goodness through our efforts as we submit them to you. We pray this in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In the name of God the Father. Amen.